0: So today we're going to start on, a, on a, um, <clears throat> a series of sermons that will lay again a foundation in our lives for our theology. Um, if you'd like, uh, we've been looking at broken down ruins. And in, when we talk about broken down ruins, um, we're talking about the fact that as Christians, we have a certain worldview. We have a certain belief system. And we live in a world that is bent on destroying our beliefs. Every, everywhere you look, um, you're running into secularists or you're running into people who, who do not believe or do not hold to the beliefs that Christians believe. And after a while, this continual bombardment of unbelief uh, tends to corrode our minds, tends to corrode the way we think. And brings us into a place where we start to doubt. Remember we looked at last week at one of the methods of Satan to actually bring us into a place uh, of um, destruction is to produce within our lives doubt. So we begin to doubt, you know, is God really there? And you'll know this week, if you've gone through some difficult times this week, that that thought has been in your mind. Is it, really, is it really necessary to go through the hard yards to really try and believe and try and hang on to God if God is not there? You know, it, like if you believe that God is there, it just ended, we just enter into a really difficult life. You know, the life is it's swimming upstream when everything is going downstream it's really difficult because we have to say no when everybody else is saying yes we have to say this is right when everybody else is saying uh, the thing that we're saying right is wrong and so it becomes a very difficult life we, we we find it's much easier to just agree with the crowd or just to go with the crowd and I and I think the problem the problem that we have is that um the world is getting so noisy now, we watch so much TV, we watch so much of, of the other stuff that's going on, that we begin to question all the foundations that we've believed in the past. And some of you maybe are just starting to develop your beliefs. If you're an adolescent here, and I'm, when I say adolescent, I say anybody over 13, and between 13 and 35, um, <laughs> um, just establishing your beliefs, um, you know, for all your life up until Eli is, how old are you now, mate? 12 well you just get into that place you're a bit advanced as a young man so you're probably more like you're 13 in your head we'll just give you 13 today free you just lost a year of your life Um, but you're you're probably coming to this place where you're starting saying you know I know what mum believes and I know what dad believes because they tell me all the time but what do I believe what do I really believe about this stuff I mean I know what mum and dad tell me that I should believe and what I should be doing but why should I be doing that why should I be thinking that? They say, you know, well, that's what you want. That's what you want to say and want to do. But what do I believe about that? And so adolescent becomes the period of time where most of us as young people, and I'm not one of those people anymore, but I used to be last Friday, um, most of us as young people are just trying to, trying to establish what we believe, trying to find out what we believe. And that usually means that we have to read or we have to listen. And we usually get our belief system from watching TV or books that we read or from <clears throat> our, our peer group, people who tell us, you know, well, this is what it really is. Or we go to school and, and some science teacher tells us that, you know, it's not the way that mum and told us about uh, God creating the heavens and earth. It's somewhat different. And so we have to embrace a whole lot of different ideas. So we can be trying to establish our belief system as an adolescent, or we can try and re-establish our belief system as adults who have been attacked and corroded. Our systems have been corroded by a world that doesn't believe in God. And so, as a a form to help you, as as a way to help you, what I want to do is I want to actually lay down some 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 foundations for us as as Christians to re. Uh, state again the things that we so strongly believe how many, are you all cold here? My wife is giving me i 'm very cold feelings you 're right she 's just giving her up well if you 're cold, snuggle because <laughs> i 'm not going to turn them down <laughs> i 'd rather you stay awake. I could turn the fans on that would send hot air down to you, but you know i won 't do that i 'll make you freeze i 'll just do be quick i 'll try and be quick. Okay, now we should actually get this. It's not going to do it for me. How about this way? Not going to do it. No, I'll just do it that way then. So I want to lay down a foundation for you in terms of what we believe and why we believe what we believe. See, we start this one, and this is probably part of the, our worldview is that we believe there is a God. <clears throat> why do we believe that there is a God? On what foundation do we place that belief? You've got to start with saying, I believe in something. You know, everybody believes in something. We don't have all the information. And because we don't have all the information, faith is essential. If I had all the facts i wouldn 't have to have faith, like I can see that there 's a, there's a table there. I can see that it 's long and it 's black. And I can see that it 's tangible it 's re- real. you know I can touch it and feel it i don 't need faith to believe that that 's there i don 't need to even believe that that 's there because I can touch it. I can feel it, I can see it. I can lift it up there it is. This is real so i don 't need faith, but it 's the things that i can 't see that I have to Have faith. Now, if I was blind and you walked in here and I'm blind, now be careful now, there's a table sitting in front of you. That blind person couldn't see the table, couldn't feel the table, wouldn't know it was there. They would have to believe the words that I said to them because they couldn't see with their eyes that the table was there. Because you don't have the information, you have to exercise belief. Now, you weren't there at the time when God created the heavens and the earth. Well, you were there in the mind of God, but you weren't there in person. You didn't actually see what was happening. Neither were those who, were, who tell us that it, we all evolved from a slime pit. They weren't there either. They're just assuming and they just have a theory because they don't want to have God in the exercise. And so our belief system as Christians is premised upon a belief in God and a belief in what he said. But it's not just what God said in his word. The Bible tells us very clearly that the, that the whole of creation speaks to us. And the, what we want to ask the question is: What does creation actually tell us about God? What does it actually say? So, if you go to your Bibles to Psalm 19, Psalm 19. There's another uh, verse in, in, in Romans chapter one, verses 19 and 20. But Psalm 19 was what we're going to deal with today. It says, "Day after day they pour forth speech." Is that one too far? Here we are. Go back to the Psalm 19, verses one to six. The heavens declare the glory of God; the skies proclaim the works of His hand. Then it says, And day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. In so, verse voices Their voice goes into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for his son, which is like the bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises from one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from his heat. Now, the Bible tells us that creation, that is the things that are created, speak to us about God. They tell us about God. He says all of creation is speaking, uttering mysteries about God. So we've got to ask the question, what is it saying? What this is called in theology is called general revelation. It's called general revelation. Like revelation is, is God revealing something to us and it's general in that it's right out there. Every nation, every person and every nation can see it. If you can open your eyes and you, can, and you can see what's out there, you can see God's handiwork and that's saying something to you about God. So that's what general revelation is about. We've got to ask the question, what is it saying? Well, the first thing that, re, that creation tells me is that God designed with a purpose and value. Now God designs things. When you, when you look at things that are made, you can see that there's a certain design. There's a story told of a man who, who walks into a, a desert and when he walks into the desert, he stumbles across a watch in the desert. Now, As soon as he picks up that watch in the desert, he doesn't say, oh, look what's evolved, a watch. The reason he doesn't say that is because the watch has a certain design about it. It has a purpose and it has value. How do we know that? Well, the watch is still ticking. Someone designed the watch, made the watch, because the watch will mark time. It means that it has a purpose. That thing that is created, that that man designed and created, was designed with a purpose, to mark time. Well, it tells us that time is important for the people who have watches. They wanted to mark time, so it has value. They valued the watch because it actually did something for you. It had a value. So the created thing that was designed and created had a purpose, and it had value in it. And that's what a created thing tells us. Now, a watch is a very simple man-made object. We are very complex in terms of our creation, but we are still well-designed. We have a, a beautiful purpose in this, a purpose in our lives, and we va- are valued. I mean, I don't think, I look at this little darling baby and this, this baby is valued. You can't say it's just a, an animal. You know, It's going to die one day. Just throw it on the ground. You don't need that. Go and get another one. That, that shows no value. Children and people, we have value. We are designed and we have purpose. And that's, it's, that's what it says to us. Now, from the extent of a galaxy, we can see the design of God. From the biggest things that you can have, you can see the design of God to the smallest things of the cell. So if you've got the cell like a DNA molecule, in the DNA, that's the little... this uh, DNA is four chemicals that are inside every cell. But they're chemicals that are put together in a certain order. And they're put together in a certain order... Because the certain order that they put together tells the cell what to do. It, that's the way. So everybody has got these four chemicals. They're called A, G, C, and T. They have special names, but I'll just use the. That everybody has the same, but they will have different coordinations. They're different couples together. So what happens is God puts an instruction manual which has 3 billion pieces in it in every cell. 3 billion of these connections in every cell. Imagine that. And they're all in a specific order. So my DNA is completely different to your DNA. They all have a a different order. There's a different purpose and a different value. It means if my DNA has a certain way, it means I'm tall. If your DNA is different, it may mean that you're short. It may mean that you have blue eyes or I have brown eyes. It may mean I'm strong. It might mean I'm male. It might mean you're a female. Those things are all in your DNA. You know the amazing thing? How does it all get together? You see there's all in order and they, they say it's like a like a thing and they all sit together, but how do they get in order? There's this little thing that God makes that puts them all together. It's called the DNA Legaz. Now, now think about that. This little creature that you can't see, and it is a creature, it's got a little wiggly tail on it. It gets like that, it wiggles its tail and it goes over, and if there's a piece of broken DNA, it swims over to the broken DNA, it grabs one piece of the DNA, it puts a chemical on the end of it, and it grabs another piece of DNA, puts a chemical on the end, and it sticks them both together, so it mends and heals the DNA. That's inside you and every inside every one of your cells. It has a design, it has a it has a design, it has a tail on it that swings, that drives it in a certain direction. It knows what to do. So when you actually get pregnant, these two DNAs come together and it says, okay, what we want to do is mix those two up so we've got dad's hair and mum's eyes. So what it goes, it goes and undoes. One DNA takes it apart and pulls mum's DNA and puts it together with dad's DNA. This little thing wiggles around inside with three billion and joins them all up together. Who told it to do that? Where did it get the idea that that's what it should be doing? Who told it that it should connect them together and keep them together so that you could be different? Where did it all come from? See, creation, whether it's big and huge or whether it's tiny and small, all shows us an incredible design. If you took the tail off that thing, it wouldn't be able to swim. It's got a little motor inside the back of it that actually drives the tail and spins it around. If you took that little motor out, the tail wouldn't spin. It wouldn't be able to do its task. Every part of it is important that God designed it just to do that job. You can't see it. You didn't even know it was there. But think about that when you read this passage of Scripture. It says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and secret skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of this. Your eyes saw my substance before it, uh, by being yet unformed. Before you had arms and legs, when you were just little DNA molecules being stuck together, God saw it. He was in the mind of that little creature swimming around inside your cells, sticking it all together and saying, this is going to look good when it all comes out at the other end. God saw your unformed substance and he saw you at the beginning, and he sees you right through your life. He says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in, the, in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. And So that's an amazing thing. When you look at creation, you are looking at something incredibly amazing. How did this happen by chance? You haven't got enough million years for it to happen by chance. God designed it. Creation shows us the design of God. It shows us the purpose of God. It shows us the instructions that God places in the purpose of every living thing so that it can do something. It shows us the value of life. The second thing that creation tells me is that God is faithful and sustains what he creates. So I mean, okay, God sets it all up. So from the greatest galaxy right out there in space, they're all running in order and they're doing what they normally do to the smallest part of our lives, which is the, even the cell and the tiny little bits inside of us. God sticks it all together and he's got it working all together. How does he keep it all together? He's faithful he says i'm going to sustain it i'm going to keep it all going how does he do that the bible tells us in jeremiah chapter 33 verses 25 to 26 we read this verse and it shows us a little bit about what he says god's lord sustained life he says thus says the lord if my covenant is not with day and night and if i have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth now that word ordinances means everlasting laws he says, then I would cast away the seed of Jacob. So he's saying to, to uh, uh, Jeremiah, look, because I am who I am, I'm going to look after Jacob. He says, if I didn't have a covenant with the day and night, and if I, my ordinances or my everlasting laws weren't, weren't in the heavens, he says, then you could forget it. But he says, I have a purpose, I have a plan, and I'm going to maintain and sustain Jacob. So he's using the fact that he's got everlasting laws as the evidence for the fact that he can be faithful and look after Jacob's seed. So what are the laws of God? Well, we're told this is the law of life. Now, this is the law of life. It's called biogenesis. It's, it means that a rock cannot create life. This thing is a piece of timber. If I leave it there long enough, maybe it will have a baby and it'll have another piece of timber on the side of it. No, you're saying that's silly, isn't it? Why is that silly? Because a rock cannot beget a rock. Only life comes from life. Life begets life. God is life and he begets us and we are life. We did not come from a rock. We did not come from an object. We did not come from something. The law of... which. Sciences, biogenetics is, you cannot get life out of a non-life thing. You cannot make a, a rock into something living. They've tried for a long, long time to get life in the test tube by mixing chemicals. Guess what? They can't create life in a test tube. They're trying hard, but the law is, everything produces after its kind. Oh, they, they try and say, well, listen, we, we're going to actually get something to, we're going to start with a dog and end with a horse. Well, you can do that as much. You get a dog as big as a horse, but in the end it barks. You can't actually get across, you know. Oh, we've got to mutate, yeah. Well, i have been waiting for that sort of missing link, you know. Some of us look like a- um, apes, but we are not apes. We're still human. You know, this is the problem. We, can't, we can always breed sheep. And we can make those sheep taller and shorter and fatter and thinner and with more hair and with less hair. But at the end of the exercise, we can change the sheep in the sheep field, but we can't change them from sheep to goats. They stay in their kind. Why? Because that's what God set as a boundary. God set it and we can't change it. That's the law of life. is the law of chemistry. And those who love chemistry know that chemistry is run by laws and all chemicals... Uh, Do certain things So life requires specific chemistry Our whole bodies are powered by Your emotions are just chemicals that's really true. I mean, if you get fright, there's a chemical called adrenaline that gets pumped into your system, makes you feel the sort of thing, makes you go sweaty, goes into your glands, and, and all of those things ha- start to happen. It's a chemical thing that happens. So God says there's all these chemicals, and each chemical has to be run by certain laws. So if you've done chemistry, you'll understand the laws of chemistry. They are there, and they are constant, and they work all the way through life from, the, from here on Earth to maybe a planet on the other side of the universe. Those laws of chemistry will still be the same. They're everywhere. They have the same laws. You've got laws of motion. All the planets circling in, in, in a certain... They, they, they wish to think they'd go around in a perfect circle around the, around the sun and in, the, in a perfect circle around the, the uh, solar system. No, but it's not. There's a law that says it's an eclipse, and everywhere that you have a planet, it's always an eclipse. It's not a perfect circle. It goes close, and then it goes far away, and then it comes back close again. That's why God's law. They don't know why it does that. They just have to accept that that's the way it is. We know why it does that, because God said that's the way it would be. He set that as the parameters. There's the law of physics. How many people like physics here? Okay, one or two of you like physics. The laws of physics are there and they're constant. Along with their associate constants, they're fine tuned, just the right way that life is, is meant to be sustained. These laws of physics keep everything going. Law of motion, when you're going forward and then stop suddenly, all those things, they're laws. There's laws of mathematics. We have a doctor of mathematics coming up here and, and he'll tell you that the mathematics is simple. You just have to recognize and know the laws. Once you know the laws, it just repeats itself. Nothing has changed. You can go, your mathematics here is the same as your mathematics at the end of the universe. It's all the same. Mathematics are transcendent. You know why mathematics is, is so great? Because God loves maths. His mind is incred- incredibly Mathematical. Everything that he creates has some mathematical proportion to it. Everything that he does has some reason. It has some idea. He's, he's intelligent and more than you can even perceive intelligence to be. He's great. He's logical. There are laws of logic. Every law that is given has some sort of logic behind it, some sort of argument. You know, it's great to hear an atheist start to argue against God when he's arguing against god he's using the laws of logic to do it now why do we think why do we reason why do we think the way we think we only think the way we think because god actually made us think the way we think because we are human beings and we're created in his image and he's an intelligent god and his creation is intelligent then we have the ability to rationalize intelligent if it wasn't for him being intelligent we wouldn't be able to have intelligence So a person who uses his intelligence to argue argue against God, you've got to ask him, why are you thinking intelligently? How did you get that intelligence? Where did it come from? It comes from a God who says, there are some laws of logic here. There's no other explanation. And and people who don't follow God cannot explain where they come from. These are the big questions. Where do these laws and rules come from? How did they get here? Why are they here? if there was a big bang bang and it exploded into space, why on earth is it it so orderly, so intelligent and so wonderfully created? If it just, boof, and there it was. The last time I blew something up on a fire, it didn't come out with order and design. It just scattered everywhere. You remember as kids, you put that little can of um, baked beans on the fire and and you heated it up too hot and it went, boof, and it blew up. It didn't blow up in order. It blew up all over the place. There wasn't great design in what was left either. You couldn't look at it and say, look at that. Every bit that's blown out has a beautiful design. It's in the same pattern. No, it was all over. It was just a mess. Why, it's just chaotic explosion. Last time you see a bomb blew up in the Middle East, did you see beautiful design like a a snowflake? Every time we have a car bomb go off, it's like a snowflake. You know? Look at the design, the wonder of it. Aren't we amazed at this explosion, as though an explosion produces something of order and design? Explosions don't produce something of order and design, they produce chaos. Why then on our universe, which is expanding and explode they say they explode it exploded from a big bang, why is there so much order and why is there so much design? Let me tell you why. Because it didn't explode out of nothing, it exploded out of the mind of God and it came out of the mind of God with order, design and great creation. Intelligence. And all of God's laws are uniform. They're consistent. Same laws 2,000 years ago are the same laws today. They don't change. We get to know them a little bit better, but they stay the same. They're always the same. They never change. Gravity never changes. You drop an apple, it always falls to the ground. It's not going to change tomorrow. When you drop something tomorrow, it's not going to float off into the abyss. Something's changed in life. The laws of gravity, no. They're consistent, they're uniform, they stay the same. Why? They're eternal, they're God's laws. The third thing we know about creation is that every human conscience witnesses to a holy God. Okay, now, we're outside of created the universe, we're outside of human beings being created and the laws that are governing. Now we're looking at the heart, the immaterial part of man. We, we cut Right through the skull of a person and we get into their brain There it is, this grey matter that's sort of pulsing with life Now you know that the surgeon can go there and he can look at it but he cannot see your thinking He cannot see your reasoning He can see some grey matter He can take the grey matter and put it in a bottle and say there's a man's brain But he doesn't have the thoughts The thoughts, the feelings, the rationale is immaterial It's not a material thing, it's an immaterial thing It's something that is spiritual It's not physical so now we're talking about something that is immaterial in it. We're talking about a conscience. Every person has a conscience, every person has an awareness of God's moral laws so moral laws are existent in, the, in this creation as well not only laws of physics not only laws of chemistry not only laws of motion not only laws of logic laws of morals moral law is always and we know inside that there is a god we're created in his moral likeness it says in genesis chapter 127 and god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them It wasn't in his bodily form, it was in his moral likeness. And Hebrews tells us in chapter 9 verse 14 that God cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. So every man has a conscience, every man has a knowledge of right and wrong. You can ask the person who doesn't believe in God, where did you get the right and wrong from? Where did it come from? I mean, if there is no God and there is no right and wrong, then I can kill a baby and it doesn't matter? Who says it's wrong? Well, if it was going to be Hitler, you know, you knew it was going to grow up to be a Hitler. Killing it probably would be a good thing, wouldn't it? You could justify murder, couldn't you? You could justify abortion. You could justify anything if you wanted to. But, you know, you can do and you can break all the rules that God places down, moral rules, but you can't escape the consequences of those, which is the accusation that comes in the heart when you've broken one of them. And every person has that. Every person carries around that sense of, I broke a rule, a God-given holy rule that I shouldn't break. Inside that, we have, this had this sense of guilt, this sense of, I've done something wrong. And that's testimony, that there is a God, that there is a holy God, and we have to give an account for him one day. The thing that shows us that there is a God is that humanity's traditions and culture point to the existence of God. Now, each one of those little symbols there is a symbol of a religion. So you have the little, little looks like the, 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 the steering ship wheel. That's Buddhism. It's the eight paths to life. The little uh, flame. Who knows what the flame is? It's Baha'i. Then you've got the other little one there that's sort of like Indian writing. See that little round circle with Indian writing? That's called Hinduism. What's the star called? Judaism. What's the cross? Christianity. What's the one at the top there with the star? Islamic. What's the Yin Yang sign? So, is it Taoism? Yeah, and and I think Taoism is the uh, the, uh, the Chinese looking thing at the top. So here we have men's religions. Now, what does men's religion tell us about the existence of God? What do you think that could tell us about God's existence? Sorry. Well, it tells us that there is a God and that we're trying to get back with him. Obviously, we missed him somewhere along the line, so we've got an idea of how we can get back to him. So every culture under heaven, every culture that we knew of before we got into this modernist period where we actually denied that there is a God, before that, we always believed that there was a God and there was some way we had to get back to God, find God. So every culture under heaven every tradition under heaven started to 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 put together their view of how they could get back to god always worked some way about it you know whether it be if it was buddhism buddhism you know we've got this wheel that goes on and forever and ever and ever you know and over millions of you know reincarnations will finally be good enough to get to heaven You know, you've got to be careful how you live these these eight rules to live by. If you live those eight rules, then maybe you'll be reincarnated next time around and you'll be better, you know. And then you have to go another life and then finally until you reach the end and you finally reach become like God. That's their idea. You know, that culture says, look, hey, listen, there is a God and we're kind of not in tune with him. How do we get in tune with him? I'll tell you how we do it. Let's have reincarnation. Let's have this idea. So there's a whole religion. If you go through every one of those religions, you'll find that they all have one common thread. They all have the golden rule. What's the golden rule? What's the golden rule? Do do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Every one of them has a golden rule, which says exactly the same thing. Don't do to others that you wouldn't want them to do to you. Do unto others as you do unto you. They all have the golden rule. Every one of them has the golden rule. Where does it, what does it tell you? It tells you that they, they've all had some sort of contact with God, but somehow they lost it and they're trying to find a way back. It's only in these modern days that we've created a new religion that says something like this You know what? There is no God. You know, we just evolved. But we know where that's going to go because you can't keep on telling people that there is no God because there's too much weight and evidence for there being God. In the end, you have to say, well, yeah, but I am God, so you have to bow down and worship me. And that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen in the end. We're going to create a worldwide religion which has all the basic rules and, uh, of, of order that, that all the faiths have. But they're going to say, the Antichrist, he's God, you have to worship him. And that's where it's going. It's called the, a new World religion, and that's what's coming. That's where it's going to go. That's the next thing that's coming down the line. But that's Acts chapter seventeen tells us these words. And this is Paul back in those days. He knew that the nations of God, and he knew that the traditions of God was about their men groping for God. He said, as I walked, in, he was talking to some uh, Jews there, who were not sorry, some Gentiles, some Greeks who were who were uh, into their Greek religions and their gods of Thor and all the other things that they, they had. Um, for I was walking around the, and looked carefully at your objects of worship and I found even found an altar to, with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something called unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So he's saying they even knew that there was an unknown God. They didn't know him. They had a, they had a shrine set up just for him and to worship this unknown God. They weren't Christians. They were pagans. They were something else. But they knew that there was a God. To the unknown God, we've got to, this is what I'm saying. All of our, all of, all of the nations, all of the traditions of humanity talk and point to there's a God that we're out of touch with. This is what he said. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He said, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He said, this is God. This is the God who made you. He says, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. So he was saying everybody is placed in a place so that they could find God. God does this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. There, there it is. Every nation looking for God. Trying to find the answer to this problem. That we have of dislocation from god the final thing that creation shows us the final thing that creation says to us the final thing that we can look at and say well there's got to be a god is the stories of the nations and point to the existence of god now i don't know what you do and i don't know what other people do with the israel israel is the biggest problem i think that people face You know, the the problem in Israel started a long, long time back. In fact, you find the root of the problem in Israel in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, which is the book that talks about the creation of the earth. Here we have the beginning of this dilemma between the the Arab and the Jews. And it all came with uh, uh, Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac. They fought between each other. Ishmael was the son of Hagar and Isaac was the son of, of um, Sarah and Isaac was the son of promise and Ishmael was the son that Abraham got for himself because he didn't think that God was going to give him a son other than the way he could get him. And so we have a, a fight start off right back in the book of Genesis. Now you don't have to believe in God but you have to deal with the fact that in the Middle East now we have a major hot spot. We have all these Arab nations around us. The whole world is looking at the Middle East. The whole world looks at what's happening in the Middle East. The whole world, whether they're atheists or whether they're Christians or whether they're Hindus or whatever, they they look at the Middle East and say, what's happening in the Middle East and how did it get that way? You know, this problem is not quickly fixed up. It's not something that happened at the beginning of the century or the beginning of the last century. It happened at the beginning of time. It happened at the beginning in the book of Genesis. You know, when you look at that and... You've got to say, well, how did it get there? Whether you believe in a God or not, they believe in a God and that's the core problem here. You can argue and say, well, that's why you shouldn't believe in God, but you've still got the core problem there, that God put a problem in place that would bring the world to its conclusion, that would bring everything to the end. And everything that's happening in the Middle East will bring everything that's happening in this world to the end. And that's why we have the United Nations. You look at the United Nations. You look at what's happening in the United Nations. Why the United Nations? Why are all the worlds getting together now? Why are all the nations coming together under one world rulership? You know, you said there must be a God. Why? Because God actually said that would happen. He's actually got a plan for the nations. He's actually working through. You know, in um, in Psalm two verses one to six, it says, "Why do you? The, why do the nations rage?" And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want to be tied up and chained up with any belief in God. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do come down and put his feet in Israel and be the king of Israel when he returns again. Now, listen to me. Creation is speaking to us. What is creation saying to us? This is outside of the Word of God. It says, God creates with design and purpose and has value. God is faithful and sustains everything that he's created. Every man's conscience bears witness to a holy God and humanity's tradition and cultures point to the existence of God because they're trying to fix up their human condition. And the stories of the nation point to God's involved of everything in this planet bringing it to its final conclusion. We have some strong evidence just in creation that there is a God. I believe in God and I believe general creation gives me some very strong evidence for that. And that's the evidence that's at the base of my belief in God in terms of general revelation that's where we build our strong now you can't remember that can you because when i go like that and it's all gone you sit there and say oh how can i remember that well we want to help you remember that stuff we want to help you to learn that stuff so that when you are talking with some friends or you're talking with somebody over coffee and they say i don't really believe that there is a god you can then just draw from your Wealth of information from your faith in Jesus and say, look, look at that sparrow that's sitting and eating the piece of bread that we just threw down and you can talk about the purpose and the divine character of God that's revealed in those things. We want to equip you to be able to share your faith with others. We want to equip you so that you have strong faith, so that you are not blown away by the wind of every doctrine that comes through the door. We want to make you strong so that when you stand at these end times when other people are losing their faith and other people are waning and and the hearts of a lot are growing cold, we want you to be strong. We want you to overcome. We want you to stand strong for your faith. We want you to, to be so strong that you would even die for your faith. That's what our plan and purpose is, to make you strong. So we're going to start this, this is our first lesson. We're going to have a workshop at the end of uh, the month. Um, at the end of each month, we're going to run a workshop. We're going to try and get fitzies. And at that workshop, what we're going to do is we're going to take the sermons that we've preached in the, in the three or four sermons that have come uh, from that thing, and we're going to present them to you in such a way that you can present them to others. So we're going to try and get them in a nutshell and then we're going to teach you to teach. So my Tuesday night home fellowship on that, Tuesday night, we'll be meeting in Fitzy's. That will be the 31st of January. will be the first of that workshop. We're hiring work. We're going to try and hire Fitzy's if we can get Fitzy's. Uh, We're working on that. Um, And we're going to, if if you're meeting, I think Cheryl's home group too is going to join in with us. Cheryl and David's home group is going to join in with us. Um, and then if you don't have a home group and you want to come along that night, we want you to come along because we want to be able to uh, train you and teach you to actually have this stuff so that it's in you. I mean, I, can go, I could give you those five and ten others off the top of my head now because we've been working at this for a while. And I want you to have the same ability to be able to do that, to be able to draw from the information that you've got and to have strong faith in God. Amen? We want to start this year... And achieve something. We want to be strong at the end of the year, stronger than we've ever been before. And we want to be making an impact in the in the communities that we are involved with. We want to be able to speak to people and have a lasting impact on their life because the Spirit of God takes what we say to them and changes their lives. That means that we're going to have to change in terms of we're going to have to become a little bit more sophisticated in the way we learn things so that we can use things. Okay, So that's our plan. That's what we plan for this year. At the end of every month, we plan to run a workshop. One, one month, we'll lay down some material for you. You'll be able to take that material away. You'll be able to even give it an opportunity to actually learn to present some of that material at that workshop so that you are equipped to reach out to those who you're trying to reach and minister to. You know, a lot of us come before people and we, we think, oh, if, only I could, if only I could remember the thing that I heard on Sunday, or if only could I could remember the thing that I read, you know? And a lot of times it's gone. Well, we want to help you to remember. We want to help you to be equipped. We want to help you to reach out. We want to get out and do what God wants us to do. Amen? So put that 31st, Tuesday 31st, 7 o'clock, probably to 7 to 9, um, in your diary, and uh, we're going to work towards that. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to bring all of this stuff together and, and, and help you to remember this stuff so that you can minister to others. Amen? All right, let's pray. Let's stand together. Father, we're just amazed. Absolutely amazed at the information that we can find when we just look carefully at your uh, creation. Father, there is nothing that is hidden from our sight and man is without excuse, Father. Lord, when we look at the things that you have made, we see the interest intricate nature of your personality, the intelligence of your being, Father, the holiness of your character. We see all your divine power just expressed before us, Father, in such a beautiful way. And, Father, we pray, oh, God, that you'd help us even on a very simple basis, Father, to each day as we go each day, see around us the handiwork of our Father. Lord, that we would draw faith and comfort, Father, from the fact that you are so consistent and you're so faithful, you're so caring and so loving, oh God, that you provide all things for us, for life and godliness. Father, you sustain all things by your wonderful character and you are so caring for us that you've reached out to us to grab us, to save us, to bring us back to yourself. Lord, we want to be a blessing to you. We want to be touched by your spirit and, in th- and filled by your spirit, Father, to be the best people we can be for you, Father. We want to reach our friends and our loved ones, Father. We want to reach out to those that are lost this year, Father. We want to touch the lives of those who have broken, Father. We want to bring your grace and your healing to them. And we can't do that without you, Jesus. We can't go and open doors that are shut, Father. So we ask you to open those doors for us, O oh God. Equip us, O oh God, to go and to minister your word, Father, and help us to maintain a contact with these people that is godly and holy and right and, and, Lord, that you would shine through our lives, that we would be lights in a dark place lord we ask this in jesus mighty name and everyone said Amen. amen well let's go and take this year for jesus amen god bless you